Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And today we are talking all about onboarding, which is something that almost every company does or needs to do in some way. And some companies really think it through. If you've ever started at one of those companies and it's really thoughtful how every step of the way is planned out and you're really integrated into the organization, while many others just kind of throw a laptop on your desk and tell you like, good luck, right? This is, this is, uh, figure it out over the next few weeks. And, uh, we want to get to a place where we can help our employees really integrate well into companies. And so my guest today is going to help us with some ideas and tell us about a program that she developed doing onboarding. My guest today is Emma Strong, who is an experienced L&D professional with a passion for effective, impactful learning solutions. Her primary focus is employee onboarding. And as a senior L&D program manager, she also develops e-learning courses, designs learning programs, and provides admin support for L&D initiatives at her company. Prior to her role in L&D, Emma spent seven years working in higher education. And in addition to her day job, Emma also consults with clients one-on-one as a private resume coach. And I've heard great things about the work that you do in that space as well. So Emma, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I was just saying that I started listening to your podcast before I even was in the field of learning and development professionally when I was back in higher ed trying to transition into learning and development. So it's a very fun full circle moment to be talking to you now. That's really cool. Honored to, to hear that. And uh, it's exciting to have you on. I should also mention you've been a member of our Talent Development Think Tank membership community now for several months. See you on many of our calls, contributing, helping other members out, engaging, asking great questions. And you also attended our last Think Tank conference back in, I think it was February of 2023, yeah. last year. So we got a chance to meet in person there as well. Yeah. So it's been almost a year actually that I've been in the community because I joined right before the conference, actually. That's yeah. right. I, I remember that. And we had some good conversations. And you know, over time, I've been hearing bits and pieces about the work you've been doing there at your company, especially around onboarding. So I'm excited to dig into that. But I know you also you know, come from an interesting background in academia before moving into this role. And I wonder if we could start with a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I... First started out my career in higher education. I began as kind of an administrative assistant, like basic role in an academic advising office. So helping undergraduate students pick their classes and plan their majors. But at the time I was just supporting everything that office was doing. I wasn't doing the actual advising myself when I first started out. And then over my seven years at UC Berkeley, I basically worked my way up into an advising position and spent the last four or five years or so advising undergrad on their classes. And that was that was a good career to start out with. However, what I sort of came to realize over time is that in my last role at Berkeley, I also had the opportunity to work with our student staff members who were actually a staff of volunteers that helped us with the work that our program was doing. And I was in charge of their training. And because they were volunteers, really were only getting their professional development out of the process. They weren't getting compensated any other way by us. And so I had a big focus at that time on their professional development and making sure that they got a lot out of the experience 
that would help them build their skills. And so that was kind of my first taste of real uh, focused learning and development type work. Um, and I found that to be a lot more compelling and interesting for me than the actual one-on-one advising that I was doing with the undergraduate students that I was working with. And so that was what got me interested in learning and development. And then the more that I learned about the field, the more interested that I got, I ended up working with Sarah Kanistra as a coach to get me into learning and development, which was really, really great. And just found my way into my current role that way. So got my first taste in higher ed and then wanted to build on that. And now I am a a full-time learning and development practitioner for about two and a half years. That's excellent. I love the evolution of that and discovering those strengths and that interest and then going and finding somebody who can help you move into that career and getting that job. And of course, Sarah has been a longtime member of our community. She spoke at our last conference and uh, I heard you recently on her new podcast uh, called Good Learning. So that was really cool as well. I'm curious because a lot of people think about making career transitions, whether it's into L&D or anything, and think, and, and maybe they hear about certain people that could help them, but they don't always reach out. How did you find Sarah and how did that you know relationship start? Yeah, I don't remember how I found her. I think I may have seen like a post or something from her and that was possibly how I found her. I'll have to ask her if she remembers because I actually don't remember that piece of the story, but... I had like a discovery call with her. That was back when she was working one-on-one with clients. Her model is a little bit different now for anyone that's interested in working with her these days. She has a little bit of a different structure, but we had just kind of a discovery call and I really liked her approach and her perspective on things. It seems like we got along well from like a personality standpoint as well, which is really important. It's kind of like finding a therapist. Like you have to find somebody that's the right fit for you, I think. And that makes a big difference in how much of an impact they can really make for you. And she got my skill set right away. She understood my transferable skills, I could tell. And then she also understood the insecurities that I was having in that moment in time of like wondering if I was qualified enough for these types of roles that I wanted to achieve and things like that. And so that combination was really helpful for me, The the both the tactical, like technical stuff, as well as the yeah. kind of like emotional side. Yeah. And she's really great at that. And so that's something I look for, I think, when I'm looking for folks to help me with stuff is having a more holistic perspective on things. And she definitely had that. Yeah, I, I love that. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by people finding, you know, the people that can help them and really kind of the the divide between those who are willing to invest in their own development and those who are not. I know we're all, everyone listening, we're all in talent development. Many of us are used to learning on a regular basis, but most people still think, well, if my company is not going to pay for me to do something, I'm not going to invest in my own development, but you were willing to do that. I've certainly, and my path invested a ton in different, you know, coaching and mastermind groups and conferences to try to figure out how do I build this business that I want to build? And it's made a huge impact for me, but not everybody thinks that way. So I wanted to highlight that because I'm sure there's some people listening who are thinking, well, I want to change careers or I need to get a new job. Not necessarily to, to go work with Sarah, because like you said, she's changed her model, but maybe go find a career coach or, you know, a coach that can help you with that. Can I say something about what you just said too? Yeah, go ahead. Which is that I actually invested in a different, less expensive coaching program prior to working with Sarah that wasn't as helpful. Mm. And so I think that's something too, like it, it helped me somewhat from where I was at at that time, but it didn't really get me to where I wanted to be. And so that's always a, a risk you run when you're investing in something too. Sure. But 
I guess just to say that, like, it's not your fault necessarily if you invest in something and it doesn't turn out exactly how you saw it. And it doesn't mean that it's not a good idea to invest again, obviously within your means and all of that, like being responsible and everything. But I just wanted to name that too, that like I didn't get it perfect the first time I picked a coaching program. So I wanted to name that for folks as well. No, that's that's a good call out. Very true. Uh, I've had those experiences as well. I've invested a lot in different mastermind groups, you know, sort of like small group coaching for entrepreneurs. And I've joined a couple that really didn't do that much for me. But at the same time, there were other people in the group who were absolutely loving it. So sometimes it depends on, you know, the personality and what you're trying to get out of it and who the other person is and, you know, can they help you or not? And then I found other groups that have been phenomenal and coaches have been phenomenal in helping me. So, you know, back to your point about doing that, like kind of discovery call and and finding someone that's a, a good match, definitely really important. So you got into this role that you're in now. And one of the first big things that you went to tackle is onboarding. Uh, tell me about what that process looked like, you know, how did it come about that the organization figured out or you figured out that we really needed to revamp or do something to change how onboarding was done? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually brought in specifically to tackle the onboarding program. They had kind of identified that need before I started at the company. And I don't know what all those conversations necessarily sounded like as they were kind of discovering that need. But my understanding is that the company had grown quite a bit in the recent years. And so things that have been working when they were smaller just weren't working as well for them anymore, which is kind of how it always works when you're scaling. You have processes and systems that work at a smaller scale. And then when you scale up, they don't always translate as well to that larger scale, right? So they wanted some more consistency in onboarding. I work for a company called Veritex Legal Solutions. And we are a international company. We're located all across the U.S. and Canada. We operate very region-based and then also have some, you know, obviously leadership on the, the national and international level as well. And so a lot of the regions were doing things kind of a little bit differently when it came to things like onboarding and training. And they wanted to add some more consistency to that whole process as well as taking some of the burden off of managers to do all of the onboarding work, right? Because the program as it existed when I started was really pretty hands-off. There was a set of e-learning courses that every new hire would receive that was sort of like a drip campaign of e-learning courses that would get deployed for each different role. But beyond that, there was nothing on a company-wide level that was consistent with the onboarding experience. And so... When I learned more about that, I did evaluate all the onboarding and kind of take a look at all of that and make sure it was all, you know, relevant and a good use of everyone's time and all of that. But the main pieces that I introduced that were new were things like they already had the idea to do cohort hiring and have folks start on designated start dates every couple of weeks. So basically figuring out what we're going to do with that cohort of people when they first start. So a big component of my program is a week of live training sessions where we run through lots of different live virtual training sessions, two to three per day. And those include everything from like a general welcome to the company, to an introduction to our LMS, to our products and services, a few like social you know moments as well. So things like that. And then another piece that I introduced was 
uh, like a buddy system program, which was already kind of happening in some regions, formally or informally. But I created a little bit more of a formalized program of a buddy system. Uh, I call them onboarding guides because they're not really like full on mentors, but they're providing guidance in their first few weeks. And so that was another component that I, I introduced when I designed the program as well. Okay. So those are new employees being paired with experienced or employees that have been there for a little while. Is there like a minimum time that you want them there? And is it, is it a formal, like, do, do those employees need to sign up to be part of that program? Or do you just go to them and say, Hey, guess what? You have a, a buddy now that you're working with. No, they don't get voluntold. I don't like to do that if possible. So yeah, no, what happens is we recruit volunteers from different departments. So whenever we notice that we're getting more hires in a particular area, we'll reach out to that department or we'll proactively do that to, you know, if we see we need more people from a certain area of the business and they volunteer and then their managers have to sign off that they're approved and ready to do that type of work. So the managers have to approve the onboarding guide to be able to serve in that role, which is kind of our safeguard against making sure that they're ready, they're like experienced enough to do it, and they're positioned well to be in that type of a, a leadership role. And then whenever we pair them with somebody, we always just ask them if they're available. And sometimes they're not. If they have a particular busy time at that time of year or something, they will say, no, thanks. Take, you know, go to the next person, please. So it's all very like communicative, I guess I could say, um, in the whole process. And do you try to pair people based on the roles that they have? So they're in similar roles like IT with IT and legal, legal, legal with legal. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I would say the department that it's been most successful with, with has been our sales team. Our sales team, they pretty much always get a mentor or they do always get a mentor or onboarding guide. And those relationships have been very successful. And then other departments, Sometimes the manager has already an existing person on their team that they like to have help with training. And so they don't always utilize someone from our program. It's up to the manager of the new hire if they want to have a buddy for their new hire from our program. So we'll just ask them and see what they what they want and kind of go with that. Makes sense. And do you use any type of software or platform to manage that or is it kind of managed manually? Pretty manual, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> We have in a separate program that I'm not necessarily hands-on with, we have a mentorship program for continuing employees that we run through MentorLoop, and we've really liked MentorLoop as a software for helping with that, but we don't use that for the onboarding guides at this stage. What we do is we have basically a lot of a lot of spreadsheets in Airtable, um, which is like a data management yeah. program, and we will just make sure that we have up-to-date information. Uh, we track it all kind of manually. And it, I haven't thought of a better way to do it because there is that hands-on component of like making sure they're available, making sure it's the right fit, like tracking their availability, like all those kinds of pieces that go into it. So I haven't come up with a better way to automate it yet. But if anyone has any brilliant ideas, feel free to reach out to me. All right. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's a a conversation for one of our community calls and we can start sourcing, like, how do people think about managing this type of thing? And, you know, if it's if it's small enough, then spreadsheets always fine. I have a good friend who manages, runs his whole business in Airtable and absolutely loves it. I haven't dug in there yet. I have been using Notion a lot lately for a lot of my document management. But that's really interesting about the the mentors. And 
all of this is being done virtually, right? You don't have everybody in the same place. You've got people in their different regions. What, what sort of things do you do when people first start to really make them feel welcome and like they're part of this team and they're not just kind of like, ah, crap, I got to figure this out on my own now? Yeah. I mean, I think the entire week of the virtual instructor-led training sessions really helps to accomplish that a lot. We, in almost every one of those sessions, and we have like, I think it's like 10 or 11 live training sessions over the course of five days, we do an icebreaker. I don't call it an icebreaker because when you say icebreaker to adults, their brains turn off and they're like, I don't want to do that. But I just say, we're going to do a thing (laughs) and then we just do it. But it's really an icebreaker um, at almost at the beginning of almost every session. So those are sometimes they're related to the topic for that training session. Sometimes they're just fun, get to know you type of questions, and they put them in breakout rooms with their their cohorts and all that. And so that really helps. We have two sessions during the week that are purely social. So one of them we like play a Kahoot game and then do another like paired game. Um, And it's just to kind of take a break in the middle of the week and have a little bit of fun. There's prizes, kind of like a fun time for them. And actually, at the end of the week, in our last session, we have some polling questions. And I know we'll probably get to measurement in a little bit here. But one of the ways we measure the success of our program is through these four polling questions, or really their statements on Zoom, and they just rate how much they agree or disagree with the statement on the very last day. The questions are, do you feel welcomed at Veritex? Do you know who to contact for help? Do you feel connected to the members of the cohort? And are you excited about your new job? And so I was pulling some stats on those before this. And between the strongly agree and agree categories, if we combine those together as like just generally folks that agree with those statements, we're at 99% for feeling welcomed at Veritex and knowing who to contact for help. 100% feel excited about their new job. Everyone we've ever served, we've never had someone say they don't agree with that. Oh. And then for connecting to the cohort, we're at 88%, which I think is pretty good for an all virtual experience. Yeah. We only have about 12% saying they're neutral and nobody is like lower than neutral on that one. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. I like that you're you're checking in with people on that. I would hope most people are excited about their new job, no matter where they're starting, <laughs> but sometimes it may not be the case. But you're helping yeah, too. And it's all anonymous. You. Okay. It's all anonymous too. So they're not like tied to their responses. So I hope that they're pretty accurate for how people are really feeling on those last days. We share out like the percentages of who said what in each group, but there's yeah. no names attached to it. So. As you went to put this together and revamp this program, what are some challenges that came up that, you know, potentially got in the way or maybe some mistakes that you made along the way? Yeah. So... One of the things that I did when I was trying to gather ideas for how to put this together was I did talk with some recently or relatively recently onboarded employees to see what their experience was like and what they wish was different or things like that. And one of the things that I knew but didn't quite think all the way through in that process is that Our company grows a lot via acquisitions as well as individual new hires. And so because of that, a lot of the folks that I ended up speaking with, I kind of just took our employee census and looked at who had a recent start date and reached out to those types of people. But a lot of those people actually had joined via the acquisition process. So it was similar, but not the exact same experience as 
a brand new hire coming on individually to a team. And so I don't know if that feedback I got was always as relevant to what I was working on. And so if I were to do it again, I would probably sift through and make sure I had a lot of the recently hired folks who came on individually versus the acquisition folks, because their training plan looks a little bit different for the acquisitions, mostly because they are trying to continue running their existing business while being onboarded. So they don't have as much free time to do training as folks that come on individually and don't have a workload yet. So that's the main reason why there's some big differences. But yeah, that's one thing I would change. Yeah. When you're brand new and someone says, Hey, we've got all these live training sessions this week. You're like, great. I have nothing else to do. Versus when you come through acquisition, you're basically still working your job. It's just that the name on the, you know, on the top of the building has changed, uh, you know, for, for effectively, but do those right. people still go through an onboarding process to become familiar with the new company and culture? Yeah. So what we typically do is we have e-learning. E-learning is still a component for everyone, by the way. So that part didn't go away. It just kind of shifted a little bit. So everyone gets e-learning, whether they're coming from an acquisition or as an individual, we call them organic hires. And for the acquisition folks, what we typically do is we will try to align them with one of the cohorts and have them go through basically a partial cohort. So they'll do like one to two sessions, usually one session per day, instead of the two to three that the new hires who come on organically are getting. And so they'll come to the welcome session. We have a session on our technology, and then we have some sessions on our proprietary technology system they come through as well. And so with that, they get their training that they need. And they also get to meet some other folks who are also new to Veritex, even though they're not all in the same circumstance, it's nice for the kind of community building piece, I think, for them to get to meet some other people. And we we play games in those sessions at the beginning, like I said, and so they get to kind of get to know each other a little bit through that experience too. Got it. And I would imagine there's things about the organization, larger organization, but then there's there must be some breakout parts where people are learning about their specific role or the team that they're on, or, or maybe that's done regionally. And so is that something that you're part of, or is that organized still by the managers? So at this time, it's still organized by the managers. I do have a goal that I want to get more involved in that piece. It's a little challenging because we have, of course, just like any organization, we have so many different teams and also the different regional nuances come into play then as well. And so I am still working on figuring out how to get involved with that step. But I would like to provide some more guidance to managers at the very least, like, some sort of like checklist or like benchmarks of like, hey, your employee should really be at this point in their capabilities by this time, just to kind of keep people on track and make sure that we're sort of tracking how their ramp time is going. That would be like at a minimum and then maybe building out some more specific resources. I know that our team as L&D is going to get more involved in the continued onboarding for salespeople soon. So some more like sales enablement type work is coming, but I'd like to do it for other departments too. Yeah, makes sense. And so again, you said all of this is done virtually. You've got a lot of e-learning, you've got live sessions, there's some recorded stuff in there as well. Is all of this built and run in-house? Do you work with any partners on the learning program or the the onboarding program at all? It's all in-house. So at the beginning, the first probably year and a half that I was running the program, I was on every single live training session, whether I was facilitating or kind of co-piloting those sessions. So 
I was on every single one of those 11 sessions every two to three weeks for a year and a half. I now have somebody on my team who helps me with this program who reports to me. So that's really, really helpful. So we kind of trade off now with that facilitation role. And then we also tap into other leaders at the organization to help us facilitate these sessions. So for instance, with the welcome session, we have folks from the senior leadership team. So like everyone from the CEO to like regional leaders will rotate through and deliver that welcome session. For the products and services piece, we have folks from the sales organization come in and deliver that because they're really used to talking about our products and services with our clients. And so they can tell our new hires about that too. So a variety of different guest speakers come in as well to help us out, but it's all really run by myself and my teammate. Yeah. Well, it's nice that you don't have to join every call anymore, but also <laughs> yes. I'm sure that allowed you to really check in on quality and continue to make adjustments along the way, right? To make sure that it's running smoothly. Because I'm sure there were you know, plenty of little mistakes or hiccups or things that you're like, okay, we intended to do this, but maybe it would be better to do it this way. And you get some feedback, but also being there, you get to see what's working, what's not working. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point that we were continuing to iterate a lot, especially when it first started. And we still are, right? Like we're not, I don't ever consider this program to be like done necessarily, right? Like we're always looking for ways to improve. We're always updating slide decks, whether it's like, I have a slide deck that has some kind of yearly stats on like just different things that happen over the course of a year. And so I just updated those for 2023. That's a pretty like minimal update, but other updates are like full restructuring of, of decks and outlines or just updating the content to make it a little bit more fun and exciting um, if possible. Cause you know, it's always good to have fun. And, and make it more interesting if it's something that's a little bit getting a little bit dry. Um, our technology, my teammate actually designed, uh, another person on our team designed our session on our technology. And she relates all of our different pieces of technology to Marvel characters to help make it more memorable. <laughs> like, which this one's like the Hulk because XYZ and this one's like, you know, whoever. So uh, I'm not a huge Marvel person myself, so I wasn't equipped to make that session. But she she found someone to help her make that one. So that was fun. I would be with you there. I don't know much about Marvel. Haven't seen any of the movies. I'd have to, <laughs> I'd have to find somebody else to uh, to take that on and make it effective. Yeah, we explain the the connection so anyone can kind of wrap their brain around it. But it's just another way. I mean, because otherwise it's just running through like this is this such the system does this, this system does mm-hmm. that. It gets a little dry, right? Yeah. Just a way to make it a little more exciting. Anything else that you think is worth mentioning, something you're proud of from the program or unique that you did that's working really well or any of the results that you have from the program so far? Yeah, so I mentioned this a little while ago, but one of our big goals was to save time for managers in the onboarding process. And so one of the results that I'm really excited about is that I have done the manager survey a few times and In that survey, I have a couple of questions where I ask them to estimate how much time they spent per week onboarding their new hires prior to this program existing. And then after the program existed, again, how much time are you spending onboarding your new hires? And so I pulled these stats recently that almost 80% of managers reported saving at least five hours per week in the first few weeks. And then almost 30% reported saving 10 hours or more per week in those first few weeks. It's not necessarily just 10 hours flat, right? It's over the course of several weeks, you're saving that much time per week. So that was a really great result for us. And 
I think speaks to the fact that I've gotten this feedback anecdotally as well, that we're taking a lot of the load off of managers. And we have a comment section in the survey where they can write comments and, you know, elaborate more on their their thoughts on that. But those numbers were really exciting to see. Yeah. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Really great to hear that because you're going to get the manager's support. They're loving it. Onboarding's done better. It's saving them time. I would imagine you're going to get uh, executives excited about that as well in the company that this is working, saving people time. One other thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up is I know that you have done a lot of facilitation in your time as well. We've got a lot of facilitators who listen to this podcast. I'm always looking for tips and tricks. What's one of your favorite things to do or tips for being an effective facilitator, especially virtually? Yeah, I think two things. One is have a co-pilot, have someone else to help you if you're facilitating particularly virtually because it can be hard when you're screen sharing to manage the chat and manage the waiting room and like do all of those little like technical pieces. So I sometimes serve as the co-pilot for our guest speakers or somebody else on my team, or we switch off on those roles. And so that's really helpful virtually in particular is to have someone else to kind of help manage all those logistics. And then the other thing is if you want people to talk later in your session, you have to get them talking, in my opinion, early on in the session. So that's the purpose for all of those like little icebreakers. Again, I don't call them icebreakers, but whenever we do those little activities or those little, I mean, one of them that we do that's really fast and easy to do that gets people unmuted and kind of participating is we do name that tune for some of our sessions. And so just playing a little clip of a song folks have to shout out the answer if it's let's say know the name of the song or the artist and it just is it takes like three minutes to get through five or six songs and you can quickly get people participating and engaged with what you're doing and a little bit more you know paying attention because i found that if you want people to talk later on there's some people that might never speak up in a session and that's just their personality and some people that will always speak up but for the folks that are kind of in the middle that are like well i might say something or i might not to kind of tip them over the edge into wanting to participate. If they have an opportunity to say something out loud early on before you're really getting into the content of the session, I found that that really helps sort of make them more comfortable unmuting later on when it's a little more high stakes when you're talking about actual learning content. Mm, I like that. So get people talking early. So you said, I have a co-pilot, especially if you're doing lots of different things with slides or breakouts or things like that, really helpful. And to use icebreakers, but don't call them icebreakers and get people talking early on. I like that because it's always a good idea to get you know a conversation going to break the proverbial ice or warm up the room. But as soon as you call it an icebreaker, it kind of puts pressure on it. And then people are like, oh, I'm in an icebreaker now. I don't know why that is, but <laughs> it's just uh, one of those things. It's almost like people ask me a lot about, not a lot, but like I get the question every now and then about like finding mentors, right? And I always say like, you know, reach out to different people, talk to different people, find somebody who's doing the thing you're doing and just ask them if you can talk on a you know, semi-regular basis, but don't ask them to be your mentor because that puts a lot of pressure on the situation when someone's like, oh, I'm your mentor now versus like, oh, we're just friends and I have more experience than you and we're chatting. So sometimes I don't know why I made me think of that, but it puts a little extra pressure on the situation. Just ask the question. Yeah. And that's actually exactly the reason why we call our onboarding guides onboarding guides, mm. not onboarding mentors or onboarding coaches or anything like that. We don't put a label that has a lot of like existing connotations on it for that exact reason, because we don't want it to be 
too big of a commitment for our guides, right? To feel too much pressure to like deliver on some certain expectations. We really just want them to share their experience at the company, share a little bit of tips and tricks of how they do their job. And that's, that's really it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Emma, thank you so much. This has been fantastic um, for walking us through all of this. Uh, So many great things you've done there. A lot of little things that can be helpful to others in different organizations from having the live trainings, bringing everyone together for a week, doing the cohort, doing a cohort base, doing the survey, asking the questions, uh, the icebreakers, but not calling it icebreaker, things like that. Always really helpful. So congrats on the success of this. I know it's ongoing. You're still working on improving it as always uh, with many of the things we do, but uh, I appreciate you coming on to share. If anybody is listening and wants to reach out to you, I know that in addition to doing the onboarding, you also offer resume coaching to people. Um, What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, I would say the best way is probably LinkedIn because that would cover both sides of that equation, right? The the full-time stuff and also my side side business. And then from there, we can kind of connect and see see what questions folks have or what they want to connect about. And then I can direct them from there. So LinkedIn would be the best place. Cool. All right. We'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in our show notes. And uh, I want to say thank you again for coming on. You and I have another conversation coming up, our bonus Q&A to be out just a couple of days after this one. But for now, I want to say thank you again for coming on. I appreciate it and look forward to talking with you more soon. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. All right. That will do it for my interview with Emma Strong, all about the onboarding program that she and her team have built there at Veritex. And I hope you got value from that conversation. I know I did. Always interested to hear how different people are approaching this topic of onboarding, which is something that I think along with leadership development is probably the two most common types of programs that people are creating inside of organizations. Because if you have any new employees starting at any type of regular interval, you're going to need to invest in some type of onboarding process to welcome them to the organization, get them acclimated and help them learn about how the organization works and how they could be providing value while they're there. Also good to remember that you're going to need to keep that process updated because things will fall out of date. And then very interesting to think about how Emma and her team think about measuring the impact of that program so they can continually make adjustments and make sure it remains relevant because we do want to measure the impact of the work we're doing and not just throw stuff out there and just believe that it's working. We know we're going to make mistakes. We know some things are going to resonate. Some things maybe not. So it's good to ask the questions to allow us to evaluate the value of what we're putting out there. And they keep it simple there, right? By just asking simple questions like, you know, do you feel like you understand how the organization works? Do you feel connected to your manager and the team you're joining? And do you feel connected to the cohort here in this onboarding process? I can't remember all the questions that were in there, but some really great, easy questions to ask. And then also going to the managers and asking if they are getting value from the process and if they're saving time, really valuable as well. And this allows you to get manager buy-in as well as probably executive sponsor buy-in as well for the work that you're doing with onboarding and the other programs. So good food for thought. Hope that gives you value. As you heard there, Emma is a longtime member now for a year of our talent development think tank community. In our bonus Q&A conversation, which you'll hear in a couple of days, I ask her about her biggest piece of career advice. And she talks about getting involved in community, that being really important. And that's something that's been really, really valuable for me on my journey in building my business and career is getting involved with communities of like-minded people who have similar goals, whether that be entrepreneurship for me or talent development for you. 
And of course, you know, I run a community for talent development professionals called the Talent Development Think Tank. We've been running that now for over three years, over three and a half years since middle of 2020, still going strong. We bring in guest speakers on a regular basis. We have open forum calls for people to interact and network with each other and learn from each other. And you can find all the information on our website, which is tdtt.us. There's a link there for the podcast, for the community, as well as our next conference, which is coming up in November of this year, also called the Talent Development Think Tank, and you can get your tickets now. All right. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you. I'm rooting for you, and I hope that you achieve very, very great success in 2024. Take care.